You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Okay, well, hey, I'm going to introduce somebody to you who's really special, and we love him very dearly, and he's going to bring the word today. Um, and and I, I have to say, I was just so blown away in the first service, and there's so many things he wanted to say, and I know he was trying to say all of them, and it was tough to say all the good things that God has put on his heart. But, but when we met uh, the other day, him and I, and he shared with me what he feels like God has put on his heart, I was just so blown away. And so I would encourage you that as you hear the, the, a different voice today, that you would have a soft heart for what God wants to do in your life. Because I believe if you can get a hold of what God has put in, put in his heart today and what he's trying to share with you, I think it will not only transform your life, it will transform your eternity. And you will leave a happier, healthy, more wholesome person because of what God does. So uh, would you do me just the awesome uh, privilege of just lifting up Jamin as he comes this morning to bring the word? Yeah, so just like Josh said, uh, my name is Jamin. I'm one of the volunteers here at Banner Church. I'm really excited to be speaking today. Uh, I am not technically a pastor, so forgive me. Instead, my day job, I am actually a high school teacher. So if any point today as I'm giving this sermon, it starts to sound a little bit like a lecture, and you're like, wait a second, did I get back into school? I want you to just give me a quick amen or like a preach it. And that way, you know, we could settle. We could be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. We're back. Yeah, I'm not here to teach you guys. I'm here, I'm here to preach. Yeah, that's, this is a little different. But still, if you have your phone out, I'll be like, mm-mm-mm-mm, phone away, phone away. Don't want to give you a detention. You never know. You never know. It might come out. Just, it's just reactionary in me. Uh, but last week, Josh started off a brand new series here at the church called God Never Said That, where we take a look at different myths that we've started to believe in our culture throughout the years that we've kind of taken for granted. But actually, when you really examine them, they seem to run contrary to the gospel. Uh, one of the ones that Josh brought up last week, I think it's a really important one, is this myth that has gone through our culture that says all religions are basically the same. They all basically teach the same thing. They're all seeking the same thing. And Josh so powerfully brought a word saying, no, that's actually not the case. Uh, all of us say, yeah, all religions are the same, except where they differ in terms of creation, salvation, human nature, heaven, hell, you name it. It all starts to become different in that point. But there is one area that all religions around the world do share in common, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And that is the recognition that we all desire happiness, and yet none of us are happy. And every religion seems to recognize this. They all ask this question, my heart longs for something beyond this world. I am not satisfied with what's here. I need something to fill my heart. The first noble truth of Buddhism is that life is suffering. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Now, what's different, obviously, is the answers to those questions, Every religion offers different answers, and they conflict with one another. And I want to kind of tell you today, what is it that Jesus says about this question? Because we've started to believe as a culture one answer, and I actually don't think that it really accords with the Bible. 
And the answer is this, and this is what we're going to say today. God never said, do what makes you happy. This is a lie that we have bought in our culture. We've drunk the Kool-Aid. We swallowed the hook. We've brought it all the way down. We've allowed ourselves to be captured by this idea that you should just do what makes you happy. Follow your heart. Fulfill your desires and whatever you want. If you just let yourself do what makes you happy, you will find that happiness. It sounds really good. It sounds sweet. It sounds nice. It's something we actually sometimes encourage each other with. Like, hey, man, you know, just, you just got to do what makes you happy, man. Just do what makes you happy. And we think that we're helping people, but I actually today kind of want to push back on it a little bit and say, actually, that's not what Jesus teaches about happiness. Actually, he gives us a little bit of a different message. I want to challenge us today just to think about maybe the possibility that we seek happiness in things and in people that actually won't make us happy. Is that a possibility? Like, I don't know. So we're going to think about this a little bit. I, I remember uh, way back when I was in college, I was studying history and theology at Southeastern University off in Florida, and I was having a rough semester. I was working two part-time jobs to try to pay my way through school. I, was work I had 18 credit hours I was doing. I was a very busy person, stressed out to the bone. And so when a, finally we got a break at school, I told my roommates, I was like, we have to go do something super fun. We got to go out. I need rest. I need to get away from it all. I need a moment to actually sit down and rest. I have a hammock. I want to hook it up between two palm trees and just sit. Just enjoy the world. And so one of my roommates came up with this idea. He goes, well, you know what? Actually, my grandparents have a beach house on the west coast of Florida. Why don't we go there? We'll set up at the beach house, and we'll have three days we can just hang out, sit on the beach, really enjoy ourselves, and get away from it all. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. That sounds restful. It sounds perfect. It's nice and warm outside. We're in the tropics. We're in Florida. There's old retirees that are all around. They're doing the same thing. They're searching for that relaxation. I think they found it. So we need it too. So we go. We go to this beach house, and we get there, and one of the first things we discover is that right outside the beach house, his grandparents have two tandem kayaks. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. So then we walk down to the beach, and we're looking out, and we're looking over the water, and it's really peaceful, and we see about a mile off an island off of the beach. And we're like, oh, that's really cool. I wonder what that is. So we start looking it up, and we realize it's a nature preserve. It's a deserted island. Nobody lives on it. And you can go there and visit it and just hang out. And we're like, oh, we got two kayaks, a deserted island. This is a tropical paradise. We got to go. And so we did. And we got on the kayaks, and we're like, okay, we can go out there. And a mile doesn't sound very far, but when you're on a kayak fighting a current in the ocean, that's a long way. So we kayak out there. It takes us like 45 minutes. We finally get out to this island. We're exhausted. We get up to the beach, and I think we have a picture here of what we saw. My roommate took this picture. He's on the back of the kayak. That's me right there with my D-backs hat. Represent Arizona. Let's go. And so up here on the beach, we pull up, and I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I've had a tough semester, and I say, you know what? I just want rest. 
oh, I just want to relax. I need to relax. And so I took out my hammock. I got this great Eno hammock. And I'm like, I'm going to hook it up between two palm trees, have a nice relaxing time. This is going to be perfect. So I choose the two best palm trees that I can find, which are the first two I see. And you can actually see them in this picture. There's one really healthy-looking one there on the left of the picture. It's got leaves all over it. It looks all good and great. And the other one I chose to hook up to is, uh, well, you see that 25-foot stick with no leaves on it? That's the other one I chose. Yeah, I, I don't know why. And my roommates didn't say anything about it. They just said, you know, Jamin, go do what makes you happy. You know, go hook up your hammock, hook it up there. So I hook up my hammock to these two trees, and I get in my hammock, and I sit down. And right as I sit down, I'm like, oh, finally, I've found the rest. And right as I'm thinking those thoughts, I hear a snap on the tree. And before I can even look up, a 25-foot palm tree careens down on top of my head and shoulder and pins me to the beach. So I, it knocks the breath out of me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm seeing spot. I don't know what's happening. My roommates run over and roll this tree off of me. And they're like, you okay, man? I'm just like, <gasps> I can't breathe. I'm like, what is going on? And I just laid on the beach. And I was like, I think my neck is broken. And just, so I laid there just still. I was like, nobody touched me. So they call 911. Uh, the Coast Guard has to send a boat out to the island with lifeguards. They get onto the island. They realize they can't pull the boat up because of the shoreline. So they have to get off the boat with a stretcher. They put me on the stretcher. And I think we have a picture of this. They put me on this stretcher. And they have to carry me out into the ocean to put me up on this boat drive me back to shore, put me in an ambulance, and take me to the hospital. And it turns out I had a concussion. I lacerated the muscles in my shoulder. Uh, so our vacation was ruined. It was not very good. And it was all because I put my trust in a dead tree. I tried to put my trust to find my happiness and relaxation, to find my rest and my fulfillment in a dead tree tree and it collapsed on top of me and I think today that in our culture there's so many things that we try to put our happiness in that we try to hook up our hammocks to so to speak we try to find happiness in our careers and we try to find happiness in the pleasures of this world and we try to find happiness in our wealth and try to find happiness in relationships and every time we do it comes crashing down on top of us because ultimately those are not things that will actually make us happy so I want to talk to you today and just kind of make this argument and, and let it sit that we've hooked our happiness to dead trees, but God offers us a tree of life. He offers us something secure that we can actually base our happiness in. And when we're willing to put our trust in him in order to find our happiness, we receive it. So just follow me on this. What is the dead tree? so to speak, this dead tree. I, I want to tell you today that the dead tree is the world's definition of happiness. Happiness according to the world. And in an American culture, it is not hard to find out what it is that our culture has said truly makes us happy. 
It is all over every news station. It is in every single movie. It is in all the music we listen to. It's on the billboards on the highway. When you go to the mall, it's there in the advertisements. And it's this. Our culture has told you, if you can just search for sexual fulfillment and money and power, then you'll truly be happy. Sex, money, and power are the three pillars, the three dead trees that we've tried in our culture to hook our happiness to. Let me just go through these really quickly, one by one. Uh, sex has become just an emblem of American culture ever since the 1960s with the free love movement, the, you know, the make love, not war. We have had this vision that if we could just liberate ourselves to follow our sexual desires in any way they lead, then we will finally find satisfaction. I mean, sex never hurt anybody, right? Ooh, actually... And I, who, who has sex not hurt? You really think about it. I'm sure that if we were honest with ourselves in this room and we actually peered into our hearts and into our past, we would discover those moments where other people who pursued their desires in a way that was not fit and ourselves pursuing our desires in a way that was not fit actually led to quite a lot of pain and destruction. And here's the other thing, too. Even when it did go well, even when we did fulfill our desires in it, it's never enough. It's never enough. We always need more. And this is the same thing when we look at money. Our culture tells us, our highly capitalistic culture says, if you just had more money, if you just had a better paying job, if you were just to buy this car or go on this vacation or if you could just afford this house, then you would really be happy. Let me tell you, that's the moment when you will really find happiness. But we ultimately find that that's not true either. Just look at the richest people in our society. Many of them will admit publicly that money cannot buy happiness. It can't. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard about this uh, that really illustrates it well is John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in American history, one of the richest men in history in general, was once asked, how much money do you need to make for it to be enough? When are you going to stop? What's the end? You know, when, when have you made enough money? And he answered the question this way, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Multi-billionaire. Just a little bit more. That's what I need, just a little bit more. And that's how we feel. The more money we get, the more we want it more. It never satisfies our hearts. And then we seek for it also in power. And this is a word uh, we get uncomfortable with sometimes, but I think it's really relevant to us because so much of what we do in life is trying to up our status, trying to make ourselves more popular, to be more accepted, to build our reputation. We want to get more Twitter followers. We want to be more respected in our jobs and at work. We want more people to like us. And when we get all that, it's the same thing. We never really feel satisfied. We want more. It never quite gets there. And if you want to see the corruption of people pursuing power for its own sake, turn on the news for five minutes. You'll see it. Power has become corrupted at every level of our society. It won't lead to happiness. And this is something that the Bible 
is absolutely aware of and actually offers an explanation for why it is so. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to the very beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I want to read this. Uh, In Genesis, in the very beginning, we all know the story well that God creates the earth and it is good. He creates all the creatures in it and they are good. And then he creates man in his own image, Adam and Eve. And he says, I want you in community with me and with creation and with each other. I want you to be happy here in the Garden of Eden. Eden in Hebrew means paradise. Here in paradise you may live and have all the happiness you seek. And Jesus says you can eat of any tree in the garden. You can have the fruit from any tree. But there's one that's a dead tree. Don't touch it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't go near that tree. And we all know the story well, and this is what I want to read. There's a serpent that comes into the garden, and, she, and he speaks to Eve, and he says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit was of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And from this moment, we get the rest of human history of pain and destruction and selfishness and brokenness and shattered relationships between us and God and our fellow man. Because Eve was tempted to say, not your will, God, my will. I want to follow my desires. I want to do what makes me happy. I want to define happiness for myself. You see here, the real problem is that when you adopt that attitude, your desires become your God. It is the ultimate reality to which everything else has to answer. Eve is tempted into believing that she will become like God, knowing good and evil. And that's what we've done this day. Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite social commentators today, has made a little bit of the joke where he said, you know, I think that America really is one of the most polytheistic societies the world has ever had because we have 375 million gods all named me. And it's true. We've set up our desires as the God of our lives. Do what makes you happy. Follow your heart. That is the ultimate thing. No one else can tell you otherwise. But that's really not what the Bible says. The Bible recognizes early on that the pursuit of pleasure will always leave you in meaninglessness. If you flip your Bibles a little bit forward in the Old Testament to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Here Solomon was a king of Israel, one of the wealthiest kings in Israel's history. He was the son of David, and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes basically asking the question, what will make me happy? 
And he does an experiment. He says, you know, I'm one of the richest, most powerful men in all of Israel. Let me seek pleasure in every way conceivable, and let me see if I'm actually satisfied. And this is what he writes. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted them in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, and pay attention to this, please. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done with the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity." a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That word there for vanity in the Hebrew is hebel. It's the Hebrew word that means vapor. He's saying that my striving after all the pleasures of the world, ultimately it was reaching after vapor and it slipped through my fingers. Meaningless. I cannot find my satisfaction in anything under the sun. I think that C.S. Lewis, uh, the famous Christian writer, summarizes this very well when he says, history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. As a historian myself, I can imagine no better summary of what human history really is. A long, terrible story of man searching for something other than God, which will truly make him happy. So what is the solution? We can't find happiness here. We can't find it in wealth and power or in sex. We can't find it by following our desires to their ends. What is this hole in our hearts? Jesus comes into the world about 2,000 years ago, and he begins to actually answer that question. I think that Jesus tells us something very important, that your heart, and all of us can feel this, has a hole in it as if your heart were a lock, and the only thing that will unlock it is a key that's perfectly fitted, and that key is God. All of us have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and only God can fill it. 
Now, it's important as I go forward to explain Jesus' view of happiness, I want to preface it very quickly with something that's very important for us to understand. And this is where I'm going to get a little luxury. Just hold on for a second. I'll get back into the word. But it's really important that you know that the way we use the word happiness in our culture today is completely different from the way the word happiness was used in the ancient world. Today, we have made happiness uh, a word that describes your subjective emotional state. Happiness is just the elated feeling of satisfaction. But in the ancient world, the ancients knew that happiness was not just that. That's a piece of it. But really, the word happiness that they use, and it's best described in the Greek words that Jesus uses of eudaimonia and makarios, in these words, happiness means the harmony and health of the soul. Let me tell you something today, that happiness is to the soul what health is to the body. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Health is not a subjective feeling. Health is actually the state of your body being in right working order and harmony. We all recognize the health of the body and what that looks like and where we need to go to achieve that health. But Christ recognizes that we don't really know how to get our souls healthy. And so Jesus comes into the world, and basically, he's the soul doctor. And he says, listen, come to me. Bring your soul to me. I want to perform surgery on your soul. You have to open yourself up to this surgery. I want to fix it and give you health in all of your being. That is happiness. And it's really important to remember that. Jesus' first teaching on happiness actually starts in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So if you could all turn there with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, this very famous sermon of Jesus, you have to know that right before this sermon, in chapter 4, Jesus has just called his disciples to come follow him. He's come to the different people, the 12 different disciples, and said, hey, leave behind your fishing boats. Leave behind your nets. Leave behind your careers. Leave behind your families. Leave behind everything and come follow me. I'm going to give you life. Come follow me. Leave behind the dead trees that you've tried to find your happiness in. I want to show you a new tree, the tree of life. Come follow me. And it's in that context, Jesus has now called them to himself. He's out in the wilderness. And also thousands of other people in the vicinity have heard of Jesus' miracles. And they've come out to the wilderness to hear him speak. And they're curious, what is this new teacher going to tell us about how to get our souls in the right order? And so they come to him and they sit at his feet. And you have to imagine the picture. Jesus is staring at all of them. And you can almost imagine someone in the crowd saying, Teacher, tell us how to be happy. And Jesus, with a little bit of a smirk, goes, Okay, here we go. You ready? And he starts in Matthew 5. Most of your, most of your Bibles, by the way, are going to use the word blessedness. But that is the Greek word makarios. So we're going to actually replace it with happiness just for the sake of this sermon. Okay? He says this with a little smirk on his face, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You're the happy ones. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know if we recognize sometimes when we read this verse just how radical Jesus' new definition of happiness is. The Jews and the Romans at that time lived in a world where those were not the things you sought happiness in at all. In the Jewish and Roman times, there are many authors, I've read them as because I studied history, and they say, no, 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 happiness is found in the virtue of the home. It's in having many slaves. It's in having large herds of cattle and sheep. Happiness is found in political power. Happiness is found in the gratification of your sexual desires. Happiness is found there. And Jesus says, no, actually, happiness are the people who are crushed under the weight of the world. What? <laughs> happiness is found in mercy. Happiness is found in being hungry and thirsty for the kingdom of God. That's where happiness is found. And you may be thinking, how can this make sense? This is really fascinating. How could Jesus say this? I want to tell you today, the key factor here is that Jesus is saying the things of this world will not make you happy. You need God. So give up everything and come follow me. Tie your hammock to this tree of life. Don't tie it to the dead trees. Tie it to the tree of life and find your rest in me. And once you find your rest in me, you'll find rest in the rest of your life too. That's the foundation of this teaching. And look at this. This is fascinating. After he goes through the whole Sermon on the Mount, at the very end of it, just flip over a little bit to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock or hooked his hammock to a live tree. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who hooked his hammock to a dead tree, like this guy. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the tree cracked and fell down on top of his head and gave him a concussion. <laughs> and it, was, it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus says, no, 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 build your house on the rock. Find your happiness in something that's truly living. Don't put your happiness in the things of this world where robbers can steal and moths can, can corrode. 
Do not put your happiness in other people around you who one day will be dead and gone. They can't bring you happiness fully. Come to me first. Lay down your life. Sacrifice everything. And then you'll truly find your satisfaction. Jesus furthers this teaching later in Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. He says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul. What will it profit you if you chase after sex, money, and power and the desires of your heart, but you leave your soul in chaos and in disorder? What can it profit you? What can it profit you? With this message, Jesus is basically telling us, you've sought happiness in the things of the world that look so secure. They look really great, but ultimately they're dead. Let me show you something that looks dead and looks like pain and sacrifice, but it's really going to give you life. And this is the divine paradox. He wants you to hook up your happiness to a new tree, the cross. Jesus himself is crucified on the tree of sin and death. He takes on that sin and death. We ate of the apple in the Garden of Eden, and we took a part of that bad tree, and it's ruined our lives ever since. And Jesus says, I will take the fall. I will be crushed by your mistake, and then I will conquer the grave three days later with resurrection. And I promise you the same thing. Come and follow me. Come make me the center. In everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Put me first. Follow me in everything. Pick up your cross, and I will give you life everlasting. I will give you happiness. C.S. Lewis, again, I think summarizes Matthew 16 so well. Uh, he says it in kind of a new way that really strikes modern ears uh, differently. And so I want you to pay careful attention to this. He says, until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Give up yourself and you will find your true self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Oh, can we amen that? My goodness. Nothing in your life that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. 
See, when you submit yourself to the tree of life, when you put your trust in the cross, Jesus takes your life from you. And you have your open hands. He takes it, and then he gives it back to you as a baptized gift of resurrection. And this is the fruit of the tree of life. The three fruits of the tree of life are this. When you finally submit yourself to the cross, you will find, number one, you will find satisfaction regardless of your circumstances. Number two, you will find harmony in your soul. And number three, you will begin to create harmony in your community. This is the outgrowth, the fruit of finally putting your trust in the cross. The first one is so significant. I love this, this idea that regardless of circumstance, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're lonely or married, whether you have all the things you ever wanted or none of the things you ever wanted, whether you're healthy or sick, you can have happiness because your happiness is found in Christ and he is eternal and everlasting. Paul uh, one of Jesus' early disciples actually put it, puts it this way in Philippians 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let me give you a little background on that real quick. Paul's writing this letter from prison. Paul is in chains, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I tell you, rejoice. You can hear the clanking of his chains as he lifts his hands. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. For I have learned in whatever situation, including prison, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Paul put his trust in the Lord. And so when things in the world came against him, when the storms came, when life didn't go the way he wanted, he said, yeah, you know, that's okay because the fulfillment of my fleshly desires is not what I'm trusting to make me happy. I'm living the life of the cross. I've hooked up my hammock between the cross. And this is where I find my rest. And so the circumstances of the world, they can't touch me. And notice here too, not even only in the bad circumstances, but even in the good ones, Paul says, I know how to abound too. When things go good, when the Lord blesses me with a good job, when the Lord blesses me with a new car, when the Lord blesses me with a relationship, oh man, I can just look at God and say, thank you. Thank you for this blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this blessing. It's that attitude of gratitude that I think many Christians forget to have, that all of the pleasures of this world, when you first are willing to sacrifice them to God, you actually receive them back as a full blessing. You say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for everything I have. Thank you. 
One of the most powerful stories I've heard of this happening, because sometimes I think we look at the stories of the Bible and we go, oh, yeah, but they were biblical. Like, no one in real life actually after experiences this. And one of my favorite stories of it is actually a man named St. Augustine. I don't know if many of you have ever heard of him. If you have, that's wonderful. If not, you need to read the book Confessions by St. Augustine, a powerful work. And in this book, he writes an autobiography, and he tells about his journey to Christianity. You see, St. Augustine, he lived in Africa in the 5th century A.D. He was uh, just a student there, a little teenager, and his father recognized that Augustine was very intelligent, and so he sent his son to Rome to learn how to be a rhetorician. And Augustine goes to Rome, and he begins his studies, and he writes in his book, Confessions, that as he went to Rome, he felt unsatisfied in his soul, and so he sought happiness in everything he possibly could. He began by seeking it in sexual fulfillment, and he had woman after woman come into his life that he began to live with and to fulfill his sexual desires with, but ultimately he realizes, I'm not happy even then. Then he goes, oh, maybe it will be in success. So he begins to study. He begins to become the top of his class in rhetorician school. Once he graduates, he becomes powerful. He gets status. He's one of the best in Rome. And he says, you know what? I'm still not satisfied. And then he gets power and recognition and fame. And he says, you know what? Even that, it doesn't satisfy me. Finally, one day, he breaks down in his garden, and he's crying, and he cries out to God, and he says, is there anything that will give rest to my heart? And he feels like God finally speaks to him and tells him, go into your house, pick up a Bible, and begin to read it. And so St. Augustine does, and he falls to his knees, and he says, Lord, I want you to be the king of my life. And then he writes these powerful words. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. We were made for you, God, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Another beautiful example of this, a few years ago, I I went with my father on a missions trip uh, to Calcutta, India, and when I was there, uh, there were some missionaries that were doing work in the red light district of the city. It's one of the largest red light districts in the entire world. Thousands of women who are trafficked there daily, who are sold into the sex trade, and there's nothing that anybody has been able to truly do to fix the problem. So these missionaries are going into this area and trying to save these women and fix the problems of the red light district. And one of the things they decided to do was to build a school in the red light district that would be totally free that they could give an education to the children of the women in the sex trade because you see the women that are in it they don't use contraceptives so many of them have multiple children and they don't know what to do with them and so the church that was there in Calcutta said well you know we'll give them a safe place to be during the day we're going to teach them about the word of God we're going to try to offer them fulfillment for their souls and so my father and I got to go to this place and I remember going to the red light district it's one of the darkest places I've ever been and we're walking through alleyways with just just gunk and feces running through drains there are rats running around it was a place of darkness and despair of moral decay and we 
come upon this one-room little schoolhouse in the neighborhood, and we walk in, and there's all these children in there learning, and then they begin to start singing songs of worship. And these little kids start raising their hands, and they're worshiping God, and they're just laughing, and with all abandon, they offer themselves to God, and they're just singing and laughing and crying and, and sitting there with ultimate fulfillment in their lives, a happiness that I looked, and I was like, I'm jealous of this. And then I noticed scars on their wrists. And so I asked the missionary we were with, why are there scars on all the kids' wrists? And he told me that when the mothers are working, Oftentimes, they don't want their children to run around in the neighborhood and, and get into trouble. It's a really dangerous area, and so they have to keep them in their homes. But they live in one-room apartments, and so they don't want their kids to see what's happening to their mothers. So what they'll do is oftentimes they'll tie and chain their children under the bed just so that they don't get into trouble while they're working. So all the children had these scars on their arms. These children are growing up in the darkest place. They're feeling the full weight of the world seeking after pleasure. The world hooking their, tree, their hammocks to dead trees. They are the ones being crushed by it. And yet in that time, they are finding their happiness in Christ. And it just shook me to my core when I saw that. I saw it and I was like, hey, I've been seeking my happiness in so many things. And I've thought, man, God, why am I not happy? I just need, I need more job. I need more popularity. I need all these things in the world. And the Lord is saying, no, I'm enough. If I can make them happy, I can make you happy too. So I'd love it if you could stand with me this morning. Close your eyes. Bow your heads with me. I don't want anybody looking around. And there are two groups of people here today that I really want to pray for. The first group of people are those of you, if you are out here today, and you feel that your heart is restless. And you've heard this today, this, this rumor of an idea that maybe happiness can't be found in the things of the world, but actually is found in the cross. If you feel like that is you today and you want to experience the love and devotion of God Almighty to experience His happiness in your life, would you raise your hands and just take, in faith, take a step of faith, raise your hands today so that I can see it. We want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you to those of you raising your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The second group of people today that I want to encourage you to respond to this message are those of you who maybe have experienced the love of Jesus Christ. You have had the moment where you've said, Lord, I want to put my ultimate happiness in you, but in your daily walk with God, you have not learned how to pick up your cross. You're still holding on to things in the world, hoping that they'll make you happy. And today, you need to put to death some of those desires. You need to put to death some of those things in your life that have been holding you back and keeping you from true happiness. If that is you today, would you just in faith raise your hand to receive prayer? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. 
I'm going to pray for us all together today, and then I want to invite those of you who think you need prayer to come to the front here. We're going to have the prayer team here at the church pray with you, encourage you, walk with you through this season. But first, let me pray. Everyone's heads bowed. Lord, we recognize that our hearts were made for you and that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Help us, God, to seek after your kingdom, to seek our happiness in your love and in your kingdom today. We thank you for the blessing and the saving work of the cross. And we pray, Lord, that today you would make that a reality in our lives. Give us your happiness, O oh Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.